Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people. Learn more about the program, podcast, the book Tactics, and how to donate when you visit walkintruth.com. Now, here's Pastor Michael in part three of his teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 called Honor and Worship. You'll notice there's a great uh, a bit of balance addressing men and women in the passage. A man ought not to have his head covered since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. It doesn't say that she's not made in the image of God, but it says that she's the glory of man. That is, she is someone who can be his glory. He celebrates her. She's a gift from God to him. For man does not originate from woman, but woman from man, all the way back to Genesis 2. We studied it last week. She was taken from his side, from next to his heart. For indeed, man was not created for the woman's sake or for the woman, but woman for the man's sake. Now, Paul is not making what I would say is an ontological argument by essence or nature or value. That's not what he's saying. But he's going back to Genesis chapter 2, and he's using this as an illustration back to the idea of headship. He returns to Genesis 1.27, to the wonder of male and female being made in the image of God and Eve coming out of Adam's side and being his glory. And when she's brought to him, he says, whoa, man, she's bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. You might add glory, glory, glory. So there's not a negative here. Paul is going back to the order of headship in verses 2 and 3. And that order is connected to the creation order. And we know that Eve was taken out of man. She was created to be his helper, to be his ally. And he is to love her as his head, as he is the head of her. He is to protect her. He is to love her as Christ loved the church. Paul is not saying anything new. He is not denying that a woman is made in the image of God. He is stating that the man or the husband must honor his head as the woman or the wife must honor her head. We don't want to send the wrong message that could be idolatrous or even send the message of something that is adulterous. Glory is the key word here. Image leads to the word glory in verses 7 through 9. It counterbalances the idea of dishonor in verses 4 through 6. We want to honor or glorify. In fact, the word glory is really the word for honor, as we see in Hebrew. God says of his people Israel, I will say to the north, give them up. To the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar, my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name and whom I have created for my glory whom I have formed, even whom I have made. The people of Israel, the people of God, are made for God's glory. This is a good thing, that we bring God glory in the way that we live and what we do. And so this is a reflection of who we are. It's reflection in being. Our wives are to be treasured and honored as fellow heirs of the grace of life. And as the man, the husband, submits to his head and loves his wife as Christ loves the church, and the wife submits to her head and honors her husband's role and leadership given from God, then God is glorified just as Christ honored his head, his father, though he is equal in nature, submitted to the point of death, even death on the cross. For what? 
for the glory of his Father and the glory or the good of his church. This is the principle going all the way back to the Trinity. Proverbs 11.16 says, A gracious wife, Septuagint version, brings glory to her husband. But a woman hating righteousness is a theme of dishonor. The slothful come to want, but the diligent support themselves with wealth. On a Jewish tombstone in Rome, we find Lucia, the blessed glory of Sophronius. The idea was that a wife was the glory of her husband. Uh, He would say, this is my beautiful wife. She is my glory. That's what Paul is saying. And there should be no um, misunderstandings about that relationship. God says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. The ultimate goal of the worship service is to glorify and honor God. Therefore, verse 10, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head. You ready for more simplicity? Because of the angels. Some versions say because of the Dodgers, just so you know. No, I'm just kidding. That's a joke. It's not true. (laughs) What does this mean? She should have this symbol of authority, i.e. the veil, because of the angels. What role do angels have in an ancient or modern worship service? Perhaps more than you might think. And of all the views that you could study on what does this mean because of the angels, here's in Rapid Fire 4. Angels, says one view, are human leaders in the church, i.e. Revelation 2 and 3, where maybe they're the head elder or pastor. That's one view. Tertullian suggests that the phrase, the angels, speaks of fallen angels or the sons of God. In Genesis 6, 1 through 4, who noticed the daughters of humans were attractive. But that's a debatable view. Number three, another view contends that Paul has in mind imitating the angels because the angels do so. According to Isaiah 6.2, the seraphs in attendance to God covered their faces, two with their wings. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. With two, he flew. And one called out to another in antiphonal praise. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Could that be the reason for the veil? A fourth view, which I think has tremendous merit, is angels are in some way participants in worship and function as guardians of its order. They are concerned about the glory and honor that goes and belongs to God. Here's an example. In Luke 15.10, as Jesus is giving some parables about God's heart for the lost, he says... In the same way, Luke 15, 10, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Newsboys some years ago sang the song, Entertaining Angels. People wondered, what's the song about? The song is about that angels rejoice in heaven over one sinner who repents. Now, sinners can repent anywhere, in a home, in a car, in, in a field, in a, in a bunker, whether it's war or golf. But, but I digress. But often, where did people repent? In a church service. 
An invitation is given. Maybe it's the day of Pentecost when Peter's preaching. Maybe it's an early church service where unbelievers are invited by friends and one sinner repents and says, yes, I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. The angels can only rejoice if they know what's going on. Amen? And therefore, they have some sort of participation in the worship. In fact, they are ministering spirits come to minister to those who will inhabit or inherit salvation. Ephesians 3, 10 and 11 says his intent through the church was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, Ephesians 3, 10, should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Angels long to look into these things, that is salvation, because they don't know everything. They're still learning. And so when they watch the church, they see the grace of God on display as they see how God has saved us through the redemption of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they wonder, and they stoop down to look. And when they do, they see the glory of God in the grace of God in the church of God as the people of God are adorned or clothed by the doctrine of God. But imagine if the angels are truly participants in worship services and they see things out of order, things connected to paganism, things that may be dishonoring or immodest. Maybe that's what Paul is saying. We should take into consideration another level. It's not just about us. It's about God and even about his holy angels. Does that change you a little bit when you walk into a worship service on a Sunday morning? You say, wait a minute, maybe I, I need to give a second thought to how I come in here. I'm not talking about baseball caps. I'm not talking about modern veils for women. Those are the cult, that's the cultural distance. The primary idea is our honor and fidelity to the gospel of Jesus Christ, no mixed messages about paganism, and honor to the marriage if you are married. Do you see? This is what Paul is getting at. It takes a little bit of work to get at it, but I think this is what's going on. An angel even killed Herod for not giving glory to God and taking glory for himself. See, the issue of glory is before us. Who gets the glory? Verse 11. However, in the Lord, neither is woman independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. You see, we got to be careful here that we don't jump to conclusions and think that, you know, somehow we can look down on others. We're all interdependent. A woman needs a man, although in our culture, some women are saying they don't, right? I don't need a man. And with technology... They're trying to perhaps make that case, etc. And a man could say, I don't need a woman. There are some bitter men out there who, have, who are hurt and wounded, and I don't need that anymore. But we are interde interdependent. I mean, just think about it. The reason that we're all here is because women and men came together. Right? We need each other. We are made in the image of God to send a message to the world from our marriages that God is alive and well and that the gospel is true. Our marriages send a message, imperfect as they are. For as the woman originates from the man, Eve was taken from Adam 12, so also the man has his birth through the woman. 
You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. You can now listen to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance wherever you go and whenever you want. That's because Walk in Truth can now be heard on your favorite podcast app. Apps like iPodcast, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, and much more. Simply open up your favorite podcast app and search Walk in Truth. Make sure you subscribe so you'll know when a new show is available. Thanks for listening and partnering with Walk in Truth. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. For as the woman originates from the man, Eve was taken from Adam, 12, so also the man has his birth through the woman. And all things originate from God. We could say, I am woman, hear me roar. I am man, hear me beat my chest. But in the end, we need each other. And that is the message. We're supposed to love each other. It's not about our independence. It's about our interdependence. We are one body. The eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. The man can't say to the woman, I don't need you. Nor can the woman say to the man, I don't need you. In fact, I would argue, I need to say to my wife, oh, how I need you. And I believe for 2,000 years, and I think you all would say the amen to this, that women have been the backbone of the church. In fact, more times than not, I see women coming here dragging five or six kids, three or four maybe, (laughs) into the church, and the man's nowhere to be found. What's going on? If this is God's order, what is wrong with that picture? Oh, I'd say a whole lot. You see, none of us would exist without God. Judge for yourself, says Paul. Is it proper or appropriate for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? 1 Timothy 2, 9 and 10, write it down for your notes, says, Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair or go- and gold or pearls or costly garments. I think, again, this is a cultural thing, but the principle stands. But rather, 1 Timothy 2, 9 and 10, by means of good works, as is proper for women, making a claim to godliness. 1 Timothy 2, 9 and 10. In light of everything that Paul just said, I think you can say why he says, verse 13, okay, you're reasonable people, think it out. Think about the big picture issue. Does not even nature, here's an important word that you need to know in Greek, it's phusis, P-H-U-S-I-S for nature. Does not even nature, phusis, itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him. Now, I want to make sure that this is clear as we wind down. The issue here is an illustration, not a condemnation on long hair. Did some people who serve God have long hair back in the day? Can you name one? You guys think Jesus did because you've seen the paintings. Nowhere do we have a record that he had long hair, but who do we know had long hair? Samson. And Samson was under what vow? The Nazarite vow. You can study. I don't have time this morning. Study number six. In the Nazarite vow, you, one of the things you could not do is do what? You couldn't cut your hair. Because your hair was a symbol of honoring God. And so he was not to touch his hair. 
And interestingly enough, when you study number six, if uh, there's contact with a dead body, so let's say that uh, you've taken the Nazarite vow. By the way, the Nazarite vow is a voluntary vow for a season, although there are a few lifelong Nazarites. Voluntary for both men and women. The Nazarite vow is voluntary for both male and female. It's basically a season of extra dedication and consecration to the Lord. So let's say that someone, you had contact with a dead body. There was a provision for you to start again and be back right in your vow to God. But what did you have to do? You guys remember this? You had to shave your head. And you offered your hair and you started over with a vow. Now, I can't tell you I understand everything that that means. But the long hair is not the issue. The issue is the message that's being sent. Here's the uh, NIV of 14. Does not even the nature of things, as the NIV has it, the norm, this is why the Greek word's important. I don't think he's talking about nature as in you look around at nature, but the nature of things or what you see as cultural norms. This is how I'm going to argue 14. Doesn't the nature of things, as you look around, uh, you look at Roman statues of the time. Men typically have what? Short hair, women long hair. It's a cult- cultural norm. Doesn't that teach you as you look around that if a man has long hair, it's a dishonor to him? Paul refers to nature and hairstyles by analogy or illustration only. It's his final illustration as he deals with first century culture, the normal order of things, short hair for guys, long hair for gals. Garland says men... Uh, should be uncovered, women should be covered. The idea that Paul is dealing with hair length should be rejected, close quote. But if a woman has long hair, as is typical in that culture, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering or a natural covering. And finally, and some of you are ready for finally, but, <laughs> but if one is inclined to be what? Contentious. We have no other practice Practice, nor have the churches of God. Paul is saying, this is what is done in every church. So if you are prone to be contentious, this is it. This is what they're doing in every city where a church has been planted. We have no other practice. This is what should be going on. Think of the principle and the spirit of the text. Don't confuse your worship with paganism. Don't be immodest. Don't dishonor your head. That's the issue. Why would anybody be contentious about such things as that? Because some people are just contentious. And we have scriptures about contentious, right? You guys know what they are? Let's end on a positive note, shall we? I'm just kidding. It is better to live in the corner of a roof than in a house shared with a contentious woman. (laughs) Proverbs 21.9. Sorry, but here it is. It is better to live in a desert land than with a contentious and vexing woman, Proverbs 21, 19. Proverbs 26, 21, though, deals with a man. And it says, like charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. Male and female can be contentious. Why are we contentious? Because there's something that we don't like, we don't agree with. It ruffles our feathers. And so we say, I don't like that. 
But the question is, is that what God has instructed us to do and be? See, the Bible stands in judgment of me, not I of it. Amen? I'm to conform my life to God's word and God's standards, even if I don't completely get it. Because if God's honor is at stake and the angels are involved in this, and this is something much more deep and majestic and incredible than I give it credit for, then I need to change my thinking. God doesn't need to change his. I need to change mine. Personal deference and self-giving, says one writer, are part of the fingerprint of the one who made us. Ultimately, Christ, though he is the head, laid down his life bowed down his head for us in death, for his bride, the church. All roles in Christian worship and marriage are informed by Christ's relationship with the church and what he did for us. And so Um says, there is nothing regressive, dictatorial, or heavy-handed about Christ's relationship with his church. He loves us to the point of death. And so if any of us would take this to a place where it doesn't belong and think that this is about male chauvinism or this is about, you know, control or etc., you have lost the spirit of the text because the spirit of the text is love and honor and glory. And so in summing up his argument, we note that Paul has established that women are to be submissive to men because of the relationship uh, in the Godhead, verse 3. The divine design of male and female, we see in verse 7. Order of creation in verse 8. The role of the woman in verse 9. The man is to honor his head, as we see. The interest of the angels in verse 10. And we can even see things through culture or the nature of things in verses 13 through 15. This is why God declares to us that we represent him and we're to be found faithful. We are his church his bride. And when we gather and people come into our midst, what our deep desire, my prayer every Sunday for this place is, Lord, let your glory be on display. Minimally, let a person who doesn't know you walk in here and say, surely the glory of God, God's glory is in that place and in those people. You're listening to Honor and Worship, part three on Walk in Truth. Hey, if you're a monthly partner with Walk in Truth, then we'll be sending you Greg Kokel's book, Tactics, Building a Game Plan for Discussing Your Christian Convictions. If you've been considering partnering with us, please visit walkintruth.com and click the Donate button. Anyone who gives $20 or more or becomes a monthly partner of $10 or more will receive the Tactics book as a thank you. Learn more when you click the Donate button on walkintruth.com. Thanks for your donation. Now, here's Pastor Michael. Well, I've said this before. I think the word honor needs to come right back into our national vocabulary and especially our church vocabulary. You know, the word honor really means what you put weight to. In the ancient world, uh, weight determined value. So the word honor is what you value the most. And honor and worship, of course, means you value worship. Do you? You know, a lot more Americans on the weekends with sports and everything that's going on, have moved away from a commitment to worship every Lord's Day. And I'm not talking about a legalistic thing here. You know, you go on vacation, that's fine. You can even play hooky from time to time. (laughs) But I do think that it should be a priority 
for God's people to honor him and worship. That's one of the main ways we honor him. And so that's what we've been talking about. We've been talking about the fact that when we honor the Lord, we're also thinking about others and how we can keep the focus on the Lord and not on us. We don't want to become a spectacle in worship. We want to be an encouragement to others. And really, that's what this is all about. Well, we're going to be getting into a teaching on the Lord's Supper. So how do we approach the Lord's table? What are the key components to understanding the taking of the Lord's Supper and communion? Is there a blessing? Is there a warning? Is there both? We're going to get into that in our next teaching in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 17 through 34. Well, hey, do you work on weekends so you can't make it to church? You know, we've been talking about honor and worship, but maybe you can't get to church on Sundays. You you work. Well, we have a Wednesday night service here at Living Truth Christian Fellowship in the city of Corona, where I serve as senior pastor. And tomorrow night, we're going through the book of Job. And we're actually now getting into the final chapters of the book. It's been an amazing study. We have child care. We have a Bible club for kids. We have a concurrent youth group for junior high and senior high. It's all at Living Truth in the city of Corona, 1009 Arsenal Way. Download the Living Truth app in your app store and you can get information on all the events. You can get directions to the fellowship. You can listen to past messages and much, much more. Download the Living Truth app today. Look for the red logo with the pillars and we'll see you here at one of the services. God bless you. Tune in tomorrow for Pastor Michael's teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 called The Lord's Supper. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Our goal is to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.